All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 154. It's Tuesday night. This is when we like to talk to you about everything that's going on in college football. And we are getting so close to the beginning of the season. We can all feel it. I'm going to go ahead and hit that tweet that lets everyone know how you can join. So if you want to join the conversation, all you have to do is hit request in the Twitter app. Be happy to let you up, and we can talk about whatever it is you'd like to talk about. Let's see here. There's a lot of stuff going on. You know, I want to go ahead and just really quickly kick it off by saying, RCFB, we always do this annual pick and it's, you know, it's totally free. It's for magic internet dollars, but we've actually managed to bring in a ton of sponsorships. We have a pick right now. It's bigger than ever. Homefield Apparel, they make really fun clothing in the college football sphere has returned as our title sponsor, offering prizes to the top five winners of our regular season contest. But now we also have Yeti offering prizes by way of custom collegiate drinkware and coolers. And now the Duke's Mayo Bowl is offering a full gift suite. And we're talking, giving away also a full year supply of Pop-Tarts and Cheez-It snacks, courtesy of the Pop-Tarts Bowl and the Cheez-It Bowl. So, I mean, I'm not joking. We're going to be giving away a lot of stuff. It's free to enter. And, you know, it's going to week zero pickums are open right now. So if you want to participate, it's pickem.redditcfb.com. That's P-I-C-K-E-M.redditcfb.com. Full details will be on a pinned post on RCFB, the website. So I just wanted to mention that. It's really neat that we're going to have all of that coming in. Um, I would love to uh, to welcome you all to enter it. I uh, I need to learn how to do a pick 'em. I've actually never done it, but now we keep bringing in all these prizes. So you know, hell, a year's worth of pop tarts and cheez its. Go for it. What's the worst thing you, that can happen? But let's see. We've had some people who wanted to come up and join, so I'm going to go ahead and let you all up here again. My name is Bob Akhairi. This is RCFB Talk 154. Let's go ahead and uh, let's hear Dylan Patel. I'm going to go ahead and let you up right now. And once you're up here, just hit unmute. Would love to hear from you. What's going on? Hi, uh, I was just wondering, well, how do you think the Illinois will do this year? I th- like, do you think they have a chance to win the Big Ten West? I think, you know, and it's interesting, too. It's hard to completely go against Brett Bielema, and what he's done at Illinois has been impressive so far. But I think this season, and the West is obviously the easier side at this point, um, Wisconsin seems to have a lot of people interested in how they're going to do. I mean, Luke Fickle being over there, um, they've got an interesting quarterback with Tanner Mordecai that they brought in from SMU. By the way, I just want to quickly shout out one of the funnier things that happened um, this week. If, if some of you may have missed it, but uh, I guess someone, at, someone I mean, I want to say Luke Fickle didn't do it himself. Probably one of his, uh, he brought over staff with him from Cincy. But somebody accidentally tweeted from the Cincinnati football Twitter account uh, a a tweet <laughs> hyping up Tanner Mordecai with a picture of him in Wisconsin gear. So it must have been somebody literally just sort of hanging out on the, uh, you know, one of his people and forgot to log out of that particular Twitter account. So that went out for them. But that said, I mean, Illinois has a chance. I Are they the favorite? Not really. I think they're somewhere in the middle of the pack. I mean, for goodness sake, I was ranked this season. So, you know, they, they are presumably one of the favorites to go through if they can find that offense. Um, and stick to that defense. I think they're going to be more of the middle of the pack, kind of competing with that Minnesota and the new the new look of Nebraska 
that's coming up. I'm actually looking forward to seeing how those two Western division teams are going to be doing next week. I'm going to be the press box on Thursday at Minnesota for Matt Rule's debut against the Gophers. But I think Illinois is going to is definitely going to have to, to is probably less so going to be fighting for the 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 division. It could win though. I'm not going to say it's it's a lot more open than say the the East where it seems to be Michigan, Ohio State or Penn State. And there's certainly some reasonable scheduling there in the non-conference to build up a runway that would allow them to get into a bowl game. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see like seven wins would be a good, a strong win, a strong season for Illinois. But beyond that, I wouldn't be shocked only because of the, the talent that uh, Bielema has. Although, again, um, you know, starting a new defensive coordinator as well, it's going to be a little tricky there. But Illinois, yeah. Hey, why don't we start with Illinois? That was a good start. <laughs> I, I just I just think like this is our last chance to actually make some noise because after this season, Big Ten East and West is going away, and then now we have to then we have to compete with USC, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan. So, yeah, I think this year is our last window to make some noise before that. I don't think it'll always be shut up. I think Illinois is in that position where you get with sort of conference teams that they'll occasionally have that year where they might. I mean, I don't want to say like the TCU season where you run all the way to the national championship, but the Illinois always had that where they'll get that season. I still remember Juice Williams um, when they made it all the way to the Rose Bowl. And granted, USC was on the other end, but it was uh, that was the last time I remember Illinois making a heck of a run. So it's always possible. It's always po- it, they can do it. And with the expanded playoff, who knows? I mean, teams like an Illinois can have that year where they can maybe you know, if not necessarily win outright, they could maybe have that at large year. It's possible. Anything's possible. I think this expanded playoff is going to open it up at least for, well, to be quite frank, at least those teams in the, the two mega conferences that we've ended up with. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Now I'm going to go ahead and let up. Let's see here, John. Um, and as I let him up, you know, one of the other things that kind of came up was, you know, as we were sort of talking about, Conference realignment slowed down at least now that we've kind of, I think, reached the point where people just want to head into the season. Who knows? We might get a surprise here and there. But the ongoing, you know, the Stanford, Cal, Wazoo, Oregon State, what's going to happen to them? Probably the most interesting thing that came out this week, the one that really struck me, was Stanford apparently told the presidents of Cal, Wazoo, and Oregon State, or at least the representatives there, that they are willing to go in the ACC for not only a reduced rate, but possibly even no media rights payout for several years. Like, we will go for free. I think if I'm in the ACC, I would keep Stanford talking. You know, I heard that, you know, they don't have quite the votes to let in those teams, and uh, especially Stanford and Cal. And if I'm Florida State, can you talk Stanford with its $36 billion uh, endowment into paying you essentially the amount of money it would take to get out of the Granite Rights deal. <laughs> Can you imagine if Stanford literally paid Florida State's way out? I'm not. I'm not saying they would actually do that, but at the rate things are going, I mean, keep them talking. Will, will Stanford be the first team to ever offer to just simply pay a conference to be in it? You know, that would be the ultimate. You know, Richie Rich. You know, Montana Max. Whatever. You know. Um, silver spoons thing that would totally fit their mojo. But uh, I don't know. That just sort of struck me looking at what's going on there. Meanwhile, as we know, Florida State missed the window to leave the ACC next season. So at this point, they're looking, if they were ever to leave, it would probably be 
2025 season or something like that because they had to have there was a deadline that came up a couple of weeks ago as Nicole Auerbach was pretty good about reporting um you know one of the titles that kind of came out in the coverage of what was going on with Florida State was a you know some people are dismissive of Florida State and all of this I, I don't like to be that way but one of the titles was Florida State can whine about leaving the ACC but there's no place to go and no way to get there the reason I bring that up is uh, one of the RCFB peanut gallery mentioned that the it makes the ACC sound like Azkaban. Um, so, you know, maybe that's what it is. But on that note, John, what's going on? Hey, man, how you doing tonight? I'm good. It's, you know, it's I'm excited. We get closer to the season. I can't believe it. You know, I mean, it's man, we're, we, we are so close. And as one less week, we have to talk about realignment rumors. So <laughs> I'm pretty pumped. Um, I guess I had a two-parter for you. Um, well, you know, first one being, uh, you know, we have Vanderbilt Hawaii this Saturday. Um, Vanderbilt doesn't really have a whole stadium. They seem like they seem like they have half the stadium at the moment. So um, what's do I, I'm trying to remember the last time I've ever, I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen that happen. Like as a team with, Supposed to be a construction site in the end zone. Is that you know? Is there any concern or anything? We, I guess it's happened any, before. Any, although yeah. honestly, I you know, there's so many jokes potential here at Vanderbilt's expense. Like, will anyone? It, it'll it'll suck for the fact that you know all those visiting fans may not be able to to have seating because Vanderbilt's always known as a very accommodating stadium to the visiting crowd. <laughs> Whenever if you want to see your if you want to see your team play for less. Then a home game, you can always just go have a nice weekend in Nashville and and watch them play at Vanderbilt. But that said, um, you know, I, w- there was a really wild version of that not that long ago. I can't remember if it was right before the pandemic, but San Jose State basically rebuilt their entire stadium. And there was like, a, I, I think they played an entire, se- state, um, an entire season with half the stadium basically under construction and with basically a construction fence up blocking it from view. So it, it does happen occasionally, and um, occasionally you'll get one of the more. I mean, if you want to get in a construction kind of feats of engineering, Stanford pulled off actually one of the better ones. Gosh, must have been two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six, somewhere in that zone. But they, uh, it was when they were right before they hired Harbach and kind of had a, a return to glory. It was when they were at their real nadir. But they timed it perfectly because Stanford was a, is still a bowl stadium, like an earthen bowl. And it was enormous. It was overbuilt. It was kind of like what some people say about rice, uh, rice football and how big that stadium is in Houston or, relative or, or to or like a really, a really any Mac stadium. Like it's almost a little too. Oh, but I mean, no, Stanford stadium was enormous. Stanford stadium is like actually hosted the Super Bowl one year. It is a, it was a huge, it was like 70,000 seats or something. So, they decided we want to build a more modern stadium and lower the uh, uh, lower the uh, capacity. So they decided to rely on the existing earthen bowl. And it was I remember they finished that season hosting Notre Dame, got blown out or lost pretty badly. And they showed during the whole game, like just off the because they have a track that kind of went out of the stadium. So you could actually just drive into the stadium. They had all the construction equipment ready to literally just drive in and start breaking the stadium apart as soon as the game was done. And they they delayed the start of their regular season the following season and actually had the new stadium put together by the following year. That, to me, is by far. But, of course, it helps. They still had the earthen bowl. They just basically scraped out everything, had something ready to design, and just kind of locked it into place, and boom, you have the new Stanford Stadium, and they could kind of add bells and whistles. 
But oh, that yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, o, I mean, as you probably as you know too, like ODU uh, a couple of years ago, like you know, re, we essentially tore down our stadium and rebuilt the entire pretty much the grandstands of the stadium within a, an off season. And there's a couple of moments where you're sitting there and you look at the stadium, like, is, is this is this gonna be ready by this by beginning, beginning of September? But um, I did have one more just a quick question for you, real quick. Um, I know with uh, week zero coming up, um. Minus the Stanford, uh, not Stanford. I mean, minus the uh, the Navy, uh, the Navy game this Saturday. Um, is there another game you're excited to watch um, that's actually watchable? Now, because I'm not, not going to put USC and San Jose State, because I'm not sure what 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 channel or what subscription package you need to even access that. Yeah, isn't that funny? That's on the Pac-12 network. I think I forgot which. I think it was uh, Stuart Mandel joked about that, like. The primetime ESPN game is like a UMass game, isn't it? I think because they're the only one yeah. that's they're the one they're the one that are on. Yeah, it's it's New Mexico State hosting UMass. That's going to be on ESPN because <laughs> that is the other <laughs> games are locked away. So maybe it's that. Maybe I just want to entertain myself purely at that game. I mean, it is it's tough. I mean, it's week zero. It's the joy of college football. I remember. Gosh, it's been a few years. It was before the pandemic, but there was an NEIA team that ended up playing a like an August 27th, just before everybody. And it got hype on RCFB because people were like, you could easily tune into it. And it was just like, hey, it's football. It reminds me of like when Montana hosted a preseason, like a, like a week zero game again, ahead of the, uh, the FBS programs. And people were hyped for that. It was fun to see it. So I think that kind of goes into it. I think... Uh, you know, week zero is week zero. You know, you get the game in Ireland. You get some of these other programs. I didn't realize it's so funny. I didn't realize that San Jose State, obviously, they're, they're playing at USC. And then they get to uh, be part of that debut at uh, Oregon State because they just announced DJ um, Uia Lully. Damn it. Uh, I can never say that yeah, name, yeah, right? Yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but he started. They, the Clemson, the former Clemson QB, he's going to be their starter. So he is. Um, so San Jose State's going to have a pretty tough first couple of games. I mean, the week zero game against USC and the week one game against a a ranked in the teens Oregon State. That's going to be a, that's going to be a tough sledding very, for them. Very pissed off Pac-12 team of that as well. <laughs> yeah, they're the one left behind. And it's so funny, too, because, of course, DJ beat. Um, a promising freshman quarterback whose name has slipped my mind. I can actually, I think I had that hand. Yeah, Aiden Childs. And uh, uh, they were talking about, well, you know, Aiden Childs looks good. He'll be there next year. And part of me, the cynical part is like, well, if he's too good and Oregon State doesn't know where it's going, I mean, is he just going to get picked off by one of these other programs at this point? Because, I mean, you know, it, it seems to be the nature of the beast. Oregon State, Wazoo, they may end up being kind of relegated to the feeder teams for um, some of the talent that populates these, these bigger pro the, the programs that have ended up in the, the two final conferences, it seems like, but yeah. So, you know, again, if you'd like to join the conversation, I just want to say, please hit request. Love to talk to you. You know, John, before I forget, I just wanted to go back to the ODU stadium thing. Cause I love, uh, SB Ballard Stadium. It is. Uh, it, it has a sweet spot for me. I love the. Fa Did they finally get? They didn't totally get rid of the the that one old set of benches that looks like it's kind of like a orange wedge, kind uh, of lying on the side of the field. Oh, they didn't. Man, I, they that was the uh, that was actually the stands they tore down a couple years ago. 
they, yeah. they had, they, there's multiple reasons they had to do it. Um, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of ADA requirements that we were not fulfilling, but we got around because it was a historical building. Um, I mean, there's no, there's no way. I mean, you, you might, you maybe saw it yourself, but uh, the offensive defensive coordinators from the our team and the opposing team would have to go through the actual stands to get to the locker room because there's oh, no man. way. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I mean, there's no restrooms. I mean, it's like I oh yeah, it was all porter potties out there because they. I mean, they had maybe one bathroom because it was a stadium from the 30s. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was. Porter. It was. It was a really cool looking 30s stadium. But I get it. Yeah, and it's so funny yeah. too. I just out of curiosity, I just pulled up the Google like Earth photo of it, and yeah, they they now they've uh, it's the yeah. current Google um, aerial view is the stadium mid rip. Ripping yeah. down and replacing that final yeah. half of it—that's a shame. Yeah, it, it is. I, mean, I, I I miss it honestly. Um, but I mean, the cool—I mean, and because I, I used to work for the FLX department at one point, and we would actually go um, inside that orange peel or like the uh, oyster, what they call it, because um, we actually you know, that's essentially where the media room was, it's where uh, equipment was, and the uh, nickname was called the Bat Cave because it was a very cramped, skinny space. I mean, all the media members are, you know, are essentially, you know, are almost in a hallway, essentially. The press conference room, it's like, you know, 12 chairs total. It was just, it was, it was a beautiful, I loved it because, you know, historical value, but just for modern practicality and where the program wanted to go, I just, I don't think it could ever work long term. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how it ends up. You know, one of the things that always struck me is I sometimes, every now and again, I'll watch those Friday night. Ivy League games that end up on like ESPN two or ESPNU because it's kind of amusing just to see how it is. And there was a game at UPenn, and and for historical fun, if you want to have some conversation with college football kind of hardcore folks, Franklin Field, UPenn's football stadium, was the biggest stadium in the world at one point, and it's still basically the same size as it was then when it was expanded to being this this giant hulk of a a stadium because it was in the city of Philadelphia. That was when the Ivy League was like premier foot football to watch before the NFL really took off. Um, and at the same time, though, it's so old, the uh, the TV announcers, they, they kind of, you could tell they were crouched by a window and that you could see the spray insulation all around them and like kind of the, the wires that were in the thing. And you realize like, again, the stadium was built, you know, built out before live TV, let alone live broadcast. But it was just kind of fascinating to see some of these older stadiums and and what they can do. But yeah, that's, that's tough sledding. I mean, you know, it's smart to, to, I think, or pardon me, um, ODU probably did the smarter thing in replacing that. Um, you don't want to end up like Cal where you spend a fortune replacing a stadium and then you back yourself into a corner um, within, with something that you can't entirely afford to pay off. I mean, well, with Cal, like, I mean, I hate to even throw the situation or even scenario out there, but does having that much debt really you know, put the whole athletics program or even the football program in danger? Because, I mean, that's that's a lot of money. I'm not, I'm not sure how you make that up in their situation at this point. I think they're playing kick the can as long as they can, to be honest with you. I mean, for those who are unaware, Cal basically has almost double the debt of every other school in college sports and college football, but college sports. And the reason, just to really quickly go through it, when they did that much needed, it was a requirement because seismically Cal Stadium was built across an earthquake fault. And so it was slowly coming apart. It was slowly being kind of sheared in the two halves. So they decided not only do we want to redo the stadium, but we're going to go ahead. And the locker rooms there were notorious. I mean, back in 2007, I want to say, 
um, one of the assistant coaches at a Pac-12 school raided every single visiting locker room in the Pac-12. And Cal, he included pictures. Cal's was comedy. Cal's literally looked like it was a junior high 1940s like wood stalls in a little box. He said, like when we had meetings, like they even said, like when we have position meetings, we all have to go into the hallways in the public areas because there's no room in the locker room for anyone to really talk. So uh, when Cal finally went and did this, that's fine. But Cal took a crazy risk. They, because I mean, Cal football's had its highlights. We all remember. I mean, Aaron Rodgers went there. There was that stretch where they were just came really close to making the Rose Bowl. And then famously, Mac Brown at Texas was able to lobby Texas into the Rose Bowl. But um, setting that aside, um, they were never going to, they were not necessarily, you know, the creme de la creme of the Pac-12, but they budgeted the project like Cal was suddenly going to be Ohio State. And they were planning to sell seat licenses when Cal had never sold seat licenses at the prices they needed to to, to ask for. So they did all of these things, building out Cal Stadium like it's going to be Alabama or USC or, or Ohio State level um, support, and it never materialized. That's why Cal has, you know, been kind of, and then they've been cursed because then they'll, they've had two different field sponsors that canceled after two years. One was Kabam, which was an online, which was like a video game app company for iPhones that lasted for two seasons. And then who did they pick? What sounded like a great idea at the time, FTX. So they had an FTX field for a year and a half before FTX blew up last year. So, again, it's just Cal has been literally the most cursed team when it comes to finances. But part of it was of their own making. At least now they're still getting money from UCLA because the board of regents of the uh, or the board of trustees or whatever they call it for the UC system is paying out money to them. And of course, it came out earlier this week. Jor, uh, pardon me, um, uh, Brett McMurphy reported uh, at least that, uh, pardon me, from Brady McCullough that um, Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov tried blocking UCLA's move to the Big Ten with the Cal Regents. So he was one of those um, that was trying to stop this. And instead, obviously, UCLA is paying um, Cal. It's been called many things. We tend to call it calimony uh, at RCFB, but you know another paying them out just to, to, I guess, make up. But I don't know if it'll ever be enough. You know, kind of going to one other small sort of conversation on the, the moves. We talked about the fact that Stanford has apparently said that it will be willing to take no money to join the ACC. One of the other funny things that also came from Brett McMurphy was that apparently Condoleezza Rice, who is, a prof- who is associated with Stanford, is a graduate of Stanford, runs the Hoover Institute there, and George W. Bush, who is, of course... Um, very closely connected with uh, SMU. Both of those two contacted ACC officials to lobby on behalf of the respective schools to get that ACC invite. That was Pat Forty is the one that first reported that. But that is that is amazing. That is hilarious can, that we have this happening. Can you? I cannot imagine being an ACC commissioner, and that's that's a phone call you get from the former president of the United States trying to you know, pitch pitch SMU to your conference. I mean, what do you even like? Oh, oh, hi. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, what do you even say? To be fair, someone in that position is probably just as good at um, political speaking as any seasoned politician. Probably like we are going to consider all our options. They're fine universities. 
you know, we will consider that. Thank you so much, Mr. President. Like, I mean, at that point, <laughs> you know, you just kind of kind of chuckle and, and nervously and then hope that he doesn't keep asking questions or or get, commit you to, to something. Because, you know, any seasoned politician is also tricky enough to get you to say something that might come back to haunt you. But I, I, it sounds like it wasn't anything quite that that bad. You know, speaking of conference kind of um, strategizing before we kind of move on, I have to say that, you know, Chris Vanini noted that Conference USA schools have signed a grant of rights deal. So, again, they've actually signed a, a deal to lock themselves in. Now, that would probably be the only G5 league to have one. And it, people are like, well, who cares? It's Conference USA. I mean, who's who's picking Conference USA teams off right now? I mean, just to, to give you an idea right now, it's FIU, Liberty, Louisiana Tech, Middle Tennessee, New Mexico State. UTEP, Western Kentucky, and then two new schools to FBS, Jacksonville State and Sam Houston. So the, that's the surface level. Like, well, who cares? It's, it's Conference USA. But actually, you know, the more you kind of think about it, there's a good strategy here because it's a five to six year deal that's going to keep them on ESPN and CBS. They're going to have some midweek games in October. So people will see these games. Uh, those of us hardcore folks who like midweek football. But if something happens to the Pac-12 and they start, you know, digging up teams from the Mountain West to, to rebuild themselves or digging up teams from wherever they can, suddenly UTEP, New Mexico State, uh, and a couple of those programs become attractive backfill options for the Mountain West. So Conference USA, which has been po- which got absolutely murdered a year ago by the Sun Belt and, you know, the, uh, the American backfilling from them to kind of take away some of their stronger teams. I mean, as, as we know, like Southern Miss ended up in the Sun Belt along with, um, <clears throat> along with Marshall. You know, we're seeing some of that. I think this is actually a smart move by Conference USA to try and at least keep themselves together uh, for the next five to six years after they've taken a couple of big hits. Yeah, no, I mean, if you look at Conference USA's roster of 15 years ago, you would never recognize today's Conference USA I mean, it's it's completely been flipped, turned, and rated multiple times over. So it it yeah, it's I I it sounds crazy at first, but if you think about just yeah the general history of the conference, it it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely, and as we kind of keep going here, I just want to say and want to encourage you out there if you'd like to join the conversation about anything in college football, feel free to hit request. It's in the bottom left of the Twitter app. Would love to hear from you. Um, one other kind of story I also wanted to touch on, and again, this is from a little, because we do these once a week, so we're kind of reaching back earlier this week. One of the, the really striking things that came out was that apparently there was a Pac-12 president last year, last fall, when in October 2022, ESPN offered the Pac-12 $30 million a school. There was a Pac-12 president who, quote, worked with a professor on his campus who estimated the school's market value was $50 million a school. So based on the professor's advice, the Pac-12 passed on what ended up being what would have been their lifeline, that $30 million a year deal, before the Big 12 jumped in line. And why do they say Big 12 jumped in line? If you're not familiar, the Big 12 was should have technically waited another year before they renewed their media deal. But as soon as they realized what was going on, um, Brett Yormark jumped them in and they, they, they renegotiated their media deal. That doesn't even start for another uh, season and a half. So... Um, People are trying to figure out who that Pac-12 president was. It seems to have been implied quite strongly 
by uh, Arizona Wildcats uh, writer. I forgot the name of the, the site it is. But uh, Jason Shear, who is really on top of the, uh, the departure of the, the Four Corners schools, um, he seems to imply strongly it was Arizona State's president, um, President Crow, which wouldn't be shocked because he's been long known as Larry Scott's biggest defender at the conference and the, one of the biggest ones who wanted to support the entire thing. So there we go on that. But moving on from there, oh, it looks like we have someone who wants to come up and speak. Uh, scavenger, I'm going to go ahead and let you up. Yeah, and I just want to say there's lots of uh, lots of shifts going on just across the board in terms of administration and, and other things too. But I want to let's let's go ahead and scavenger. What's going on? How are you? Hey, how y'all doing? Great. All right. Hey, I have something totally off topic, but I thought it was very interesting. Um, Shane Beamer he announced today against Kentucky at the before kickoff that the creator of Sandstorm. He's going to be actually performing Sandstorm before kickoff against Kentucky. I saw that. That is like one of the top things on RCFB right now is that they're going to have that. And I didn't realize, and my, my dumb personality, I didn't realize it's actually a live performance. Yeah, it'll be before kickoff. So it's pre- I thought it was pretty cool because I, uh, I know the fans have been wanting that forever. And um, he announced it at his press conference today. It's pretty cool. It is, and it's it's awesome. Of course, it's a, it's it, it's a, you know electronica, so I think it is just one person, right? I mean, it's I, I, it's going to be great. I mean, I, I, any good show, it's going to be awesome. I'm sure it's going to be synchronized with the lights, and it is going to be that's going to be a hell of a thing. That's that's one of the better game one kind of for opening, or at least is that the opener? That is the opener, isn't it? No. Oh no, it's, no, it's week twelve. Week twelve. Yeah. I'm so sorry. No, that's going to sure. be hype. I'm not sure if it's going to be in the stadium because they were talking about it might be like in the Dimcock Park or that's that's outside the stadium. So I'm not sure if it's in the stadium. Though. That is awesome. Well, there's plenty of time between now and then to make that memorable. That's going to be that would almost be like I mean, the only other team that I would really be curious to see something like that happen, although good luck. I mean, they're they're in retirement mode now would be like Metallica playing at Virginia Tech, you know, <laughs> That would be, but I mean, th- this is more plausible, and this is this is something. I mean, I'm excited for South Carolina fans, and and I love Shane Beaner. He's got a good. He's got a. He, he's excited. We had him like two year, uh, two off seasons ago. We had an interview with him live on uh, RCFB Talk, and he's. He, I'm glad to see stuff like this. This is good for the program, and I think this is going to be fun for fans. And I think any fan will get a kick out of it. I think even Kentucky fans who are going to be visiting are going to get a kick out of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, y'all have a great night now. I'll, I'll talk to y'all later. Yeah, take care. All right, I'm going to let on Yeah Boy Ron. I saw him on earlier, and he's back up. And then I'm going to let on uh, Ski Mask Smurphy after that. Hey, Yeah Boy Ron, what's going on, man? I say you're talking about Metallica there for a second. I remember my fir- my freshman year at Virginia Tech was Frank Beamer's last year. I remember all the time we're like, oh, man, they should try to get Metallica for his last home game or whatever. So you just reminded me of that. I haven't thought about that in years. But um, you can, a, a few times now, even when talking about Cal, we brought up their debt. I don't know what the exact number is, but I don't know why they just don't do what Rutgers in New Jersey did, where the government and the school just forgave the athletic pro- program's debt. Again, I don't know what the number is. That just seems like something that they could do if it's just to the point that it's so unmanageable. 
it's, it's, you're going to freak out. It's nearly a half a billion dollars. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it is, it isn't, it isn't, as I said, it's over double the next school. I think right now it's, it's more than 440 million and it's supposed to eventually clock in at like nearly half a billion I dollars. Remember so when, when I'm saying Cal is in a situation in a class all itself, it is in, it is in a zone all of itself in terms of the sheer amount of debt service that it has to pay. Because I think for so, Rutgers, yeah. what ended up happening was they just forgave like $50 million, which is, yeah, a lot of money, but $500 million, that's insane. Yeah, and I think because no one really pays attention to Cal, it just kind of keeps slipping by in the background until occasionally it comes up and people are like, you did what? Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Man. So, Thanks for taking my call this week. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, goodness. Yeah, no. So I'm going to go ahead and let you up. Um, uh, Ski Mask Smurfy, when you come up here, just go ahead and holler. You know, one other thing I just wanted to mention, um, one of the other pieces of big news, well, relatively big news that came up today was sort of a, um, at least, I wouldn't say the, the conclusion of a saga, but Jim Harbaugh has uh, announced that, or at least Michigan has announced that he's going to take basically a voluntary three-game self-imposed suspension. Um, those of you may know the saga, what started as a really, and it's, the whole thing is, is silly because the worst part of it is self-inflicted. Basically, Michigan under Harbaugh, and I believe it was the, um, one of the assistant coaches, uh, were, were accused of violating something during the COVID-19 kind of rules and, and contacts and what was allowed and what wasn't. That in and of itself would not have been a particularly huge violation. But what ended up happening was they uh, they apparently weren't agreeing. Uh, Coach Harbuck wasn't apparently very uh, amenable to working with the investigators, and that in and of itself became a level one violation. So what started to happen was a proposal of whether or not he's going to be suspended from games. Of course, the way Michigan's schedule is set up, those early games are not particularly ones that are going to challenge what is the preseason number two team? Of course, we say that, and you know, Appalachian State happened, you know, 2007. But we'll, we'll assume we're not going to have something crazy quite like that. But it was originally proposed it was going to be four games. Uh, the I believe the NCAA's um, committee on infractions didn't agree to those terms, so I unilaterally Michigan's instead going to just have him sit out for three games, which will be again the murderers row of home games versus East Carolina. UNLV and Bowling Green. Um, the fourth game would have been Rutgers. So again, not the uh, not not the worst lineup of teams for Harbaugh to have sat out. But right now they've announced he's going to sit out those first three games, um, which again won't necessarily be huge, but maybe something in what will still be an ongoing uh, negotiated resolution with the NCAA on that infractions case. So I just wanted to mention that one only because it has been one of those topics um, that has been ongoing as we get closer to the season. So Ski Mask Smurphy, I see you're up. What's on your mind? Uh, well, first thing that, well, a couple things. As a Michigan alum, it's like this whole Harbaugh deal is sort of weird. It's sort of like, okay, one from four games to agree to. Wait, can you hear me? I am. I'm right here. No worries. No, no. I was listening to you. I get it. <laughs> no, I was just because my phone wasn't showing that I was speaking, so I was just double checking. 
Don't yeah, it's sort of weird. It's sort of weird. He agreed to the NCAA, but like, hey, four games. Then the practice committees were like, no. And the school's like, we'll give you three games. And then it's going to be weird if it's like the infractions committee is like three games is fine. Because then it sort of makes it seem like this whole ordeal was just for nothing. Like you guys are sending this out. And the worst part is like, by the way, these things work. This is not going to get settled until next year. So unless they come up with like a penalty of like more than six or seven total games, then it's really going to be for not because the next season outside of Texas to start the season, we really have no real teams who are going to scare us. But oh, I agree, and all. I think I think just kind of I want to just really kind of and I apologize to jump in right there, but I think part of Michigan's strength this season is it's got so much veteran talent, and it's this is hard. This seems to be Harbaugh's best chance at making that push not only into the playoff, but actually into the title game. And um, yeah. I think I wonder if there was some strategy to that, like, as you said, like, well, well, let's worry about resolving this next season. We'll take these three insignificant games at the beginning, and maybe the worst-case scenario is the NCAA says you still got to lose one more – you still got to skip one more game next season. And if it's a tough one, nice, but I don't think the expectations next season will be – quite the same for the Wolverines as they are this season. I wonder if that's part of it. But go ahead. I apologize. It just You got me thinking there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every, everything you said about the team is spot on. But the other thing I wanted to talk about was the whole sort of pack four and also the Cal debt. I, I literally have to look it up while you're talking about it because the number you said sounded just made up, very unrealistic. But I, I posted it under the replies for this space. It's the San Francisco Chronicle said it's literally for as of the end of the 2022 fiscal year it's 440 million dollars they owe which is just an insane amount to think of an athletic department just blowing through yeah and and, and it was just that one big like they decided again I, i'm i'm imagining the meeting anyone who's had anything built will tell you like working with a contractor an architect they kind of will throw the crazy you know Here's the they expect you to push back. I don't think anyone ever pushed back. I think like here's the Rolls Royce version of redoing Cal's stadium, California Memorial Stadium. And they're like, done. We're going to totally be able to pay it off like an Ohio State. And, uh, you know, sometimes if you build it, they don't come. And that's that's kind of what happened to Cal in this. Yeah. And the last bit with Cal is more so talking about the pack where I think. The optimal thing for the four teams left may be to somehow form an alliance with the uh, the Mountain West to create a new conference. Because when you sort of look at the way like TV really works in America, it's really like there's two seasons of TV. It's you know September to May, then that summer season which people aren't really watching TV. So I think if somehow they could sort of parlay their way into all those four teams join the Mountain West and maybe possibly get BYU then you can sort of have like this dominant football package for basically what on the East Coast where I live will be considered, you know, the late night 11 o'clock block. But on the West Coast, the 8 o'clock block, they basically have basically all the teams who will be playing that late outside of the teams who left the Pac-12 to go to other conferences, which, I mean, most a decent amount of their schedule, they're going to end up playing in the Eastern time zone. So they can sort of set up a way to be like, hey, you need something to fill this time block. We're the only ones who could do this consistently, and that may that may have to be their new strategy moving forward. Realistically, I think you're, I think it looks like 
the backup option for those four teams is going to be something with the Mountain West. I'm not sure if they're going to go into the Mountain West or pull teams from the Mountain West. It depends who's got the financial strength and, of course, the name recognition of the pack. However, BYU, I don't think they're going anywhere. They just got their... I mean, they just got Utah, their their love-hate rival, to join them in the Big 12. They, they're they're going to be stable there, and I don't think so. Because no matter what, this new pack or Mountain West is going to have far less money than the, the by probably at least 10 or even more million dollars per year, um, possibly quite more. I mean, the, the Mountain West payouts are quite low. It's between four and six. It's uneven. Um, yeah. I think I'm getting a little bit of fee- Go ahead. And that's why I said they have to figure out a way to renegotiate. So like I said, hopefully on the contract it says, hey, if you add more than four teams, then you get to like redo your deal. Because it's like when you, when you basically say, yeah, we're going to dominate this block for you, you can sort of up the ante. But yeah, I don't know what the rest of the teams are going to do. They're all trying to join the ACC for some reason, which is I don't know why. But yeah. yeah, realistically, I don't know. even think there's going to be enough TV money around for Cal and you, that those four schools plus whoever's in the Mountain West to come close to it, unfortunately for them, um, if they are going alone and going together as they are proposing. You know, one of the interesting kind of um, – one of the interesting um, sort of stories that came out of sort of looking at where the future is, not on these TV contracts, but on the TV contracts that come the next time things get negotiated – is there is a change in how, because we, we, we've been talking about, it, especially in the last couple of off seasons about realignment. Um, it's been TV markets. Can you bring in the Dallas Metroplex with SMU? Can you bring in the Bay Area? Can you bring, bring in the LA schools in Southern California? But one of the other interesting changes they've noticed with ratings is it's not just those regions. That seems to be almost the model of, I remember somebody actually shared on Twitter. It was some random account that was just kind of uh, mining nostalgia. But the old TV maps about which ABC networks were getting which game, when that really mattered, when you really, it's like, am I getting the Pac-12 game? Am I getting a Big Ten game? When I personally moved from California to Minnesota and I wanted to watch my Pac-12 games, I was stuck watching whatever Wisconsin was playing on the TV. You know, that kind of a thing. And We've moved past that, but I think sometimes the TV market's are operating off of those maps, the uh, the regional maps, and who would get pulled into a market on ABC or whatever. What we're now going to are marquee games. So if Ohio State plays USC, if you know, what even you know, a Washington plays a Michigan, those types of games tend to bring in the national audience, and so that may be part of the future of a lot of these negotiations. Do you have that marquee team versus do you have that regional footprint? And the, in, it was interesting because when you get into the real weeds of how that Apple TV deal kind of failed, it seems like it was just a little too early in the sense that in the next time these get negotiated in the next five, 10 years, we're going to see that cord cutting effect and this rise to um, where the money is going to be to pay for some of these media deals is going to fall into the best options. I'm not saying they're going to be equal to the amounts that are getting paid now, but the best options may then end up being these uh, streaming uh, sites. And the, because that's where that one of the biggest complaints against the streaming options, it's like, well, if I want to just stumble upon a TV game late at night, I'm not going to go, I'm going to go on Apple TV and hunt around. I'm going to go, you know, see what's on ESPN, see what's on Fox Sports, see what's on whatever, and, and see what game I'm going to watch there. 
Um, it seems like we're going to a lot of these new TV contracts are because people aren't necessarily in the future going to be just rotating around the TV and, and, and kind of like running through the network channels and, and the cable channels like we used to do. They're going to be kind of seeking out specific games, in which case, if it's on a streaming service, it may not be a huge deal. If someone's like, wow, I really want to watch Texas versus Alabama, I really want to watch, you know, Auburn versus, you know, Florida, they're going to go seek that out on that, whatever, whatever they need to go. So I'm not saying that's going to be that. That's one of those those things that's going to come up the next time these really big TV negotiations get uh, talked about, because when you get into the weeds with the people that are the decision makers, that is the future that they're seeing. It just for some reason, well, not for some reason, it just was a little too soon for this last round of really big TV deals. There's still enough money getting thrown at cable, even though it is slowly dying that people are, are, are that, it, you know, and you're not, if, if you're the people that are negotiating these, if you're the recipient of that money, you're not going to go like, well, the future might not, who cares about the future? You got to get that money now. So that's what they did. And, and that's what got the, all these conferences, their latest TV deals to look at right now. Um, you know, as we kind of move forward, I wanted to just kind of hit on a couple of other uh, stories that have been popping up this week. You know, this week was an interesting one. There was a couple of big shifts in administrative news, which isn't one we usually hear about, because obviously USC was run running under an interim uh, athletic director. They had a really successful run under uh, their previous one, uh, Bowen, who was brought in from Cincinnati, but he left due to... Things that were apparently from his days at Cincy and had somewhat arrived while he was at USC. But Mike Bowen had had some sort of, um, what do we understand, kind of abusive personality. Nothing that was going to get USC into a lawsuit, but something where they had to basically get rid of him. So that during the offseason, uh, Mike Bowen, who had negotiated, who had hired Lincoln Riley, who had gotten USC into the Big Ten, abruptly left so two steps forward and one step back to probably giant steps forward and one step back there but usc is now taken uh the athletic director jen cohen from the uh from washington so she's going to be now starting she started actually today at usc interestingly enough she also negotiated a big 10 move because washington her previous school has now joined the conference they're not going to be reportedly taking as much money as the rest of the team so it's kind of fascinating someone who is extremely familiar with what the Big Ten offers, is going to be heading the USC, knowing that instead of dealing with the hand that she was going to get dealt at Washington, she's going to get the full, the full effect of joining the Big Ten while at USC. So that'll be an interesting one. USC needs a little less controversy. They've been edging away from that, but ever since the, the, uh, the NCAA slammed the school over the Reggie Bush thing, which really, I mean, now in retrospect, Unfortunately, USC is like S. I won't compare it to what happened to SMU in the 80s, but after SMU got the death penalty, there was basically an understanding that the NCAA was never going to do the death penalty again because they saw what it did to Southern Methodist. With what happened to USC, I mean, Lane Kiffin was there and got blamed for something that happened under the, um, uh, got the, pardon me, got the brunt of what happened under Pete Carroll. There's an understanding that they may not even go that far again. Uh, in the next level. So every team, there's always that team that becomes a poster child, unless your name is Mizzou, in which case, apparently they'll just go after you. But um, that's one of those changes. The other change at Nebraska, Ted Carter, the school president is leaving to become the president at Ohio state. 
money's got to be involved there. I mean, some there's some university programs, university systems that just pay an enormous sum to the university president. That's a that has an athletic angle to it because Carter was part of the reason why um, they were able to get a, sort of a, a, a rebuild of the uh, Nebraska program that had been listing for a bit with Trev Alberts coming as the athletic director. And obviously he was supportive of hiring Matt Rule, who is another big splash hire for Nebraska. Um, we're going to see how that goes next week. I'm going to be in the press box for their start at Minnesota. It's, it's going to be an interesting game. So that's going to be one of those other big moves. So it'll be interesting to see. It's a, it's probably a good move for um, Ohio State because they know they're going to go and have to replace their own athletic director because Gene Smith has announced he's retiring at the end of this season. And Nebraska needs to find a new leadership, hopefully one. I mean, you can't be the president of Nebraska and not support the athletic department. So I think that's it's, it's the trick is going to be finding someone of that quality. Meanwhile, at Cincinnati, John Cunningham, who we actually, again, had a guest uh, last season on RCFB Talk, their athletic director also received a contract extension. He's guided them into playoffs. He's, I mean, obviously he didn't coach them, but he was the AD that, that kept that program together and put, got themselves placed in the Big 12. So another big move right there. Um, one of these other stories that we talked about a lot during the offseason, the poster child for NIL excess was Jaden Rashada. Some of you may remember that the young QB was apparently offered something north of $13 million to go play at Florida under an NIL deal through one of these collectives that was going to basically compensate him for doing the things like showing up and uh, for media events, signing autographs for fans, things like that. And they were basically going to hand him, uh, what would have totaled something like $13.5, $13.8 million over his time at Florida. Famously, in December, it all fell apart. And they were going to give him a half. They were, the initial payment for like half a million dollars was due. It didn't arrive. And by the end, by the next month, he ended up at Arizona State. The reason I bring all that up, Arizona State has named him their starting quarterback already. So apparently he has developed quite well in the offseason. They're happy with the decisions he's been making on the field. So he was able to, to lock in that starting position. You know, it was interesting because competition-wise, they had the, the existing starter who is, who is going to have a hard time because, I mean, the Arizona State struggled last season and they've got a new, obviously, a new head coach leading them. But Notre Dame had a, they had a transfer from Notre Dame, Drew Pine, who had started at the at Notre Dame he had a hamstring injury in August earlier this month I should say so that I mean apparently Rashad has supposedly won the won the job before that but you know that's that's kind of the the churn happening over at Arizona State speaking of landing top QBs apparently USC has landed the top 2026 quarterback Julian Lewis over Alabama and Georgia that's a big move for USC because, again, if you want to compete at the top level in the Big Ten, you have to be able to beat those programs, particularly those SEC programs, for some of those players. Ohio State, notably, also just landed, uh, I think that was reported today, five-star defensive lineman Edric Houston, again, a, another Georgia player uh, from the state of Georgia, and beating Georgia and Alabama for that. Um, again, that's something you'd expect more out of an Ohio State um, not to say USC isn't the top program, but again, the, over the years, as they've sort of 
listed a bit in the last decade or so, that's kind of a sign that they're coming to that position. And again, Ohio State needs to keep that up as they, they compete in the conference and, and keep going on. One of those things that actually is impressive about what Michigan has done is this season they're working more with experience than with the, the raw talent that necessarily has been at Ohio State to, to manage to lock in that number two preseason ranking. And of course, it's preseason, so we'll see if that means anything as we move through the season. All right, you know what? We're slowly wrapping up here. Um, I'm really glad we had uh, uh, Scavenger, S-C-Scavenger, I don't know. It was, uh, it was, I'm glad he mentioned that because one of the things I was planning to touch on was the fact that uh, Dirud is going to be performing um, at South Carolina later this season, uh, the, the famous opening song they have when they, they start their games. You know, one of the other kind of off-season, one of the other kind of sniping that's been happening in the off-season with all these conference shifts was from North Carolina, their Hall of Fame women's soccer coach, Anson Dorrance, this is something Stuart Mandel reported. He's apparently not a fan of the ACC adding a Cal and Stanford because in his mind, quote, I want Cal and Stanford to die on the vine. So uh, rivalries never cease. I mean, again, recruiting even in something like women's soccer, which North Carolina is obviously a strong, strong program in that sport. Any opportunity to keep them out is something that, that he is interested in doing. The other kind of ongoing story in the background is going to be where the playoffs end up. Because as we know, it's going to be a 12-team playoff starting next season and the season after that until they kind of renegotiated. Um, it was going to be 6 plus 6, which meant the top six conference finishers, which was implied to be the, pack, pardon me, the Power 5 plus 1 G5 would be guaranteed in the playoff plus six at-large teams. Since it starts in 2024 and the Pac-12, as we know, it is not going to be there in 2024, the question has been what to do. There have been two schools of thought. The SEC has been in favor of a all-at-large 12-best team model. That's probably not going to move far only because it's going to get pushed back from many quarters and possibly even some political and legal pushback that we know happens when you really anger the G5 programs. But what we may end up with is a five plus seven, where you get the top four, essentially P4 programs, and then an at-large from one of the, the remaining six conferences, plus seven at-large teams. That may be where we're going. The other half of what's going to be negotiated is how to divide the money between each conference, only because in past years it was even um, among the P5 but now the P5 is totally on is it isn't an even split. You've got 20 teams in one conference. So um, getting the same as a conference with 10 teams really doesn't make sense. Not that there's only 10 anymore. But so they're going to be negotiating as well how to divide the money that goes between conferences that are now 20, 18, 18, etc. You know, I see a couple of hands up. So John, and then let's get back to uh, Ski Mask Smurphy. What's up, John? Yeah, um, I just. Actually, I, was kidding. I know I asked you what your favorite game for this weekend, but I guess for week one of the season, what what game are you looking forward to the most? Oh, boy. Oh, man. I am not quite sure off the top of my head. Let's see here. You know, well, LSU versus Florida State. I think the, the camping will kick off. I believe that's counted as a week one game. That is by far the one I'm circling, only because – it's now a top 10 matchup. You've got, you know, preseason number five LSU 
versus number eight, Florida State. Which one of those two teams is going to have? I mean, both of them could still theoretically be in the race for the, the playoff, but I think the winner of that game is going to seriously be a contender for the until they lose again, if they lose again. For Florida State, it would seem a little more open only because they're going to be entering the ACC, which is obviously you've got to be dealing with Clemson as a potential rival, and they're going to be playing at Clemson in the season. But for LSU, it becomes a question of can they, how can they do and how can they challenge the, you know, the SEC play. They're going to be playing at Alabama. They're going to be competing with, you know, uh, potential. I mean, they, they miss Georgia in the regular season, but they're going to, if they move through, they're, again, because I believe, yeah, the SEC is moving towards no divisions. They're going to be moving toward, at least in terms of the title game. Is it this season where they're moving to? Um the top two finishers are going to be playing in the title game, I believe. I apologize if I'm off on that, but I know they're moving towards that. And if they do, again, that would also be another opportunity for LSU to make it in again, as they did last season, and have a, a puncher's chance of making it into the playoff, either as the SEC champion or as an at-large team. So that Camping World Classic, you know, it is probably the Camping World kickoff. That game is going to have so much riding on it for those two teams that last year's i remember last year's was interesting because we weren't sure how either team was going to be you know you you had florida state are they good are they not then you had brian kelly you know which everyone was just laughing at the silly accent he did when he first got there and we're ignoring the fact that he actually knows how to coach a football program so this season you know I, i i by the way i just have to say lsu fans i think they would trade up that would be funny. Would they trade a national championship if he just, if Brian Kelly then adopts the most absurd Southern accent ever? Like, I want to see him come out like a gentleman, like in the Garden District of New Orleans, you know, like Bobby Hill in that one King of the Hill episode where he's affecting, uh, you know, uh, talking about, oh, this flower is Wilton. Like, I, I would, I would, that would be the most amazing trade-off is will you accept brian kelly acting as someone who is like a, a you know a fine southern gentleman from louisiana you know versus a national championship i don't know like a looney tunes character pretty much <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh goodness I, I was gonna say my favorite my game i was looking forward to, uh, to the most was odu guys you know of course odu at virginia tech um uh, for you know saturday night uh, no, I think there's a tech guy somewhere in this chat. Or, uh, he said he's a tech person, but I was I uh, can't wait for uh, for ODU West Campus to have another win once again at Blacksburg. <laughs> I still remember that ODU upset of Virginia Tech. That was one of the wildest things I ever saw, and we had a photographer on the field for that for our CFB, and that that is just one of those crazy moments. And it's always wonderful when you see those those kinds of deep rivalries between kind of one-sided rivalries where one team just hates playing them and and the other one just keeps knocking them off hey ski mask smurphy what's up i just want to say ODU oh, beating virginia tech it's glorious being a growing up and still living in virginia it's it's always nice to see virginia tech get taken down a peg but uh <laughs> i was going to talk about um what you said in regards to the college football playoff and like them switching things up to go instead of doing six and six, well, I think the way because of the way the contracts are written is that for these last the last two years with ESPN, they're just gonna have to stick with what they, um, what they agreed upon with the six conference champions, which I think may actually benefit the college football a little bit because um you know like one of the things that sort of sells March Madness with basketball is that 
there's some, always like that one little plucky team from out of nowhere that no one's ever heard of who goes on this run and it just, you know, just gives them all the ratings they need. If that happens in college football that may, you know, convince them to stick with, you know, making it the top six conference champion. So they always have this little Cinderella story built in just in case. So they have that one team that everybody's just going to tune in to watch that can take down, you know, the Alabamas and Ohio State. I think they're going to say that the implosion of one conference might be something where in the contract that it was it was something where they recognized that it was a material change where it was negotiable. But I don't know. I didn't negotiate it. And, and that isn't necessarily my I, I am a lawyer, but that isn't the area that I work in. So I don't want to necessarily say it and say like I'm speaking on behalf of what's going on there. But we'll see when there's enough money at stake, though, people will come up with creative ways to negotiate things and make them work. Let's see here. I'm going to go ahead and slowly start wrapping this up. We've been on for about an hour. On Tuesday nights, we typically like to do these for an hour. Who knows? Maybe next week I'll get a chance to dive more into all the athletes that are apparently gambling in the state of Iowa because I still can't quite figure out what's going on there. Um, Iowa State, and apparently now Iowa has 11 athletes in question due to gambling. So we'll see where that goes. I'm sure there's other states where it happens, but it, it, it's been all Iowa this past offseason, and I don't think that one's gotten as much attention with all the chaos that's been going on. But um, Didn't the baseball coach do the same thing? Yeah. No, no. It is, it is crazy what's happening in that state. Like, I don't know if people are ratting on each other or what, but apparently right now the latest is there's going to be six Iowa wrestlers, and that's a serious sport at Iowa. I want to be clear. That's not like... That's not a minor thing. Three football players and two unknown athletes. I love their unknown athletes. Like, really? You can't tell me what sport they play? But, um, you know, we'll see where that goes. But I'm going to go ahead and slowly – Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it was either Iowa State or Iowa. One of their wrestlers who's, like, the national champion, he was just betting on himself, which is also a funny part of the story. Yes, I heard that. <laughs> It's one of those things where it's weird to sort of like, yeah, if you know you're going to win, why not just bet on yourself? But, yeah, it's – I've seen – I dove into it. It's, it seems like everybody on campus is betting on sports. In, in fairness, if I lived in Iowa, I think I would – there's not much to do other than drink and gamble, I think, out there. <laughs> it's, it's not a bad place. But, you know, when they see the glory of Minneapolis, it's hard to go back home. Um, and that's – paraphrasing an article I read many, many years ago uh, when I actually moved out here to Minneapolis, which is all right. But one last thing actually I wanted to mention, apparently there is still no TV partner for the first round of games of the playoff next season, not this season, because they're asking apparently for so much. That first round of games aren't going to be neutral sites. They're going to be on-campus games. Um, so somebody's going to be a home team, you know, hosting that first round of the 12-team playoff. But uh Apparently they don't have that, but it'll work out. I'm not. I'm not worried. People will come to a, a settlement, and they will. They will get that money because there's going to be a lot of interest in seeing who makes that first those first rounds and who's going to be hosting them. Well, that was another good hour talking college football. This was RCFB Talk 154. My name is Bob Akhayeri. Before I forget, just wanted to repeat what I said at the beginning. If you're in the Pickums, we have a free Pickum contest, but now we have prizes that we've never had before. Check this out. Homefield Apparel is going to return as their title sponsor. They're going to give prizes to the top five winners from their excellent lineup of collegiate shirts at the end of our regular season contest. But we're also going to now have prizes from Yeti. 
Um, last year, we had some items from Yeti, but this year we can now officially say they're sponsoring it. They're offering prizes by way of custom collegiate drinkware and coolers. The Duke's Mayo Bowl, we just arranged it this morning, is going to offer a full gift suite. And then the Pop-Tarts Bowl is going to give out a year's supply of Pop-Tarts to one of the winners. The Cheez-Its Bowl, it's the same sponsor that helps, is also going to be offering a year's supply of Cheez-Its. If you win our free, there is no money involved, this free pick them that we do. The week zero is open right now. You can read more about it if you go to RCFB. We've stuck the, the instructions at the top of our our post, or you can just go to pick'em.redditcfb.com and enter it. But again, we get nothing from this. We've been doing this for fun for years. I invite you all to enter it. I hope you win. There, it can be from RCFB. It can be from the Twitterverse. We don't, or the Xverse, whatever the hell you call it. We don't mind. So I just wanted to repeat that. If you'd like to enter it, take that opportunity. We'd love to have you. So on behalf of all of us at RCFB, I'm going to hang up and listen.